Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Dr. Daniel Amen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Wow, what a joy to be with you. <laughs> I have to give a shout out to the incredible Ryan McCormick, our wonderful PR firm for just happening to say, by the way, I had Dr. Daniel Amen on my show and I went, do you think he would come on my show? So I have to give a shout out to him for that. <laughs> Thank you. I love the book that you have coming out in March. It fits so well with this network and it fits everywhere. The end of mental illness. Tell me, tell me, tell me and my listeners, uh, what prompted you to write a book with that title and what is the book about? Well, I think we're working on the wrong paradigm. At Amen Clinics, I have eight clinics across the country. We believe you absolutely should look at the brain before you go about messing with it. And uh, we've done 160,000 brain spec scans on patients from 121 countries over the last 30 years. And what we've come to learn is that most psychiatric illnesses are not mental health issues at all but rather they are brain health issues that steal your mind. And this mm -hmm. one idea changes everything. Get your brain right and your mind will follow. So this is really a revolutionary idea that basically says what we're doing now, which is diagnosing mental illnesses based on symptom clusters. You have five of these eight symptoms, you get the diagnosis of major depression. Um, and we think that's insane because <laughs> it's depression is like chest pain and chest pain has many different causes and nobody gets a diagnosis of chest pain because it doesn't tell you what causes it or what to do for it. So when they do large scale studies that say antidepressants really don't work any better than placebo, which I know is not true, um, but 
just giving everybody an SSRI for depression is insanity mm. when there's so many different types of depression. There's so many different causes of depression. And I've seen over and over again that when I can help your brain be healthier, your mind is better, your mood is better, your focus is better. And the end of mental illness is like, stop it. Let's stop calling these things mental because that only shames people, stigmatizes people. No one's stigmatized for cancer, diabetes, or right. heart disease. Right. And likewise, no one should be stigmatized. But because we're working on the wrong paradigm, people don't want to come and get help. And not only do they suffer by not getting the help they need, their children suffer, their grandchildren suffer, their partners suffer, and this is unnecessary. I know from spending a week in brain training with one of your um, students, or they called it a uh, boot camp, it was fascinating for me as someone who was diagnosed uh, with depression and trauma and PTSD at a very young age, early childhood trauma. And I, I ended up with one of your students for a week and it was intense for sure, but I'll tell you something that happened, and I don't know if I've shared this on my show. At the end of the week, the gentleman that I was working with said, just go home, don't do any work, because your brain, you're gonna be tired in a way you've never been tired. And he was right, but I had this call with all these PhDs and MDs from Yale and Harvard, and, and I had to do this call where I answered very technical questions about EHR technology. And I could not get words to form in my mouth to answer these questions. And then all of the sudden, my brain just went, Zoop! and I remembered things from 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and I was able to access them and pull them out. And then it ended up being an amazing call. It went from what's wrong with this woman? Why is she wasting her time to my God, that was the best call we've ever had. And that was because of what I, I did that week. It was amazing. Well, I'm so happy to hear that. And I think once we start focusing on brain health and your mind is better, well, then your confidence is better and then you're happier. Right. And it doesn't mean that mental training is not important, but think of it like hardware and software in a computer that so many people go to psychotherapists and no one's looked at their brain. Well, you don't know, is this a hardware problem or a software problem? Mm -hmm. And once you optimize the physical functioning of your brain, psychotherapy actually goes faster. It's easier to program a computer that works right yeah. than a computer that doesn't work right. And so in our model, getting well, the first thing we do is look at and then optimize the physical functioning of the brain. How do you look at this in terms of people being able to have things like insurance coverage to have this kind of treatment done or you know, having it be affordable if they don't have insurance coverage for the masses? So it's one of the reasons I write that I have been trying to give away what I have learned ever since I learned it growing up Roman Catholic. It's always been in my mind, in my heart, to 
help as many people as I can. Um, but about 62% of our patients, when they submit uh, their bills to insurance companies, get reimbursed different levels, but uh, insurance companies' interest, I mean, and I always say follow the money, insurance companies' interest is quarterly profits, especially those insurance companies that are publicly traded, which are most of them. And so they answer to Wall Street where I answer to my patients. And even though it may be more expensive in the long run, right? I mean, it's really cheap. Go to your family doctor in a seven-minute office visit, leave with a prescription for Lexapro or Zoloft or whatever. Right. Um, that's fairly inexpensive. But once you start those medicines, they're often very hard to stop. Plus, they've prescribed them basically in the dark. And so the chances of them causing problems is actually pretty high. All psychiatric medications have black box warnings. And so I say, what does it cost to have an ineffectively treated brain? What does that cost you at work? What does it cost you in your marriage? What does it cost you for schooling, for your children? It's very expensive. This is a small investment to really get a roadmap on how you can have a better brain and subsequently a better life. And so to come to one of my clinics, it's about $4,000 with the whole evaluation that we do, but the return is on average, patients have 4.2 diagnoses, they failed 3.3 providers and five medications. Right. At the end of six months, if we treat you, 84% of our patients are better. And that's based on a study of 6,400 people. So we're really excited about it. And the most common reason people come to see us is they've tried three or four things and it just wasn't working. Right. And they are our best referral sources. So our number one referral source, and I love that, is our own patients because that means we do good work. But... Um, Looking at your brain, it just, it changes everything. You begin to know, well, is it that head injury I had when I was six on the playground? Mm. Is it because we had a flood in our home and I had mold exposure? Or is it, I don't know if you saw the study last week, 95% of baby food has heavy metals mm. in it, lead being the most common. Well, lead is a known neurotoxin. And so to say, oh, well, this is depression and I inherited it, it's way too simplistic and doesn't tell you anything about biology, which, uh, which is why, quite frankly, the whole world is skeptical of psychiatrists. 40 years ago, when I told my dad I was going to be a psychiatrist, he asked me why I didn't want to be a real doctor, why I wanted to be a nut doctor and hang out with nuts all day long. And he hurt my feelings, and my dad would never have gotten Father of the Year Award. <laughs> but he was really reflecting what society believed then and still believes now is that psychiatry really is in science. And, and I just happened to agree with him. Um, I mean, he could have been nicer to me. You know, <laughs> Come on, I'm your kid. But, but, but I get it. And over the years, I've become more and more frustrated 
because why do cardiologists get to look at a heart that's so much more simple, simpler than the brain, right. and I don't get to look, and my patients are just as complex, they're just as sick, and you know, psychiatric illnesses can be lethal, Yes, uh, with suicide being the 10th leading cause of death, the second leading cause of death in young people. Let me ask you this. In the reading that I've done about this book that's coming out, The End of Mental Illness, Heal the Brain Issues That Steal Your Mind, Erase Stigma, and Live Your Best Life, this is coming out in March of 2020. One of the things that's written about it is a new way to think about and treat issues such as anxiety, depression, bipolar disorders, ADHD, addictions, OCD, PTSD, schizophrenia, and personality disorders. I said that without taking a breath, by the way. I know that a lot of my listeners in particular are people that are um, on the receiving end of a lot of pain from people with personality disorders. So can we unpack that a little bit in terms of how you believe your work would, would help in that area? Well, you know, I love the fact that the imaging work we do almost immediately decreases stigma. And it increases forgiveness and compassion from families mm. because they see these problems as medical and not moral. And, and it's just so helpful. I had this patient from Florida who came to see me in our Northern California clinic and he had Tourette's and he actually had really bad Tourette's, which is a tick disorder. People have both motor and vocal tics. And the dad sort of pulled me aside and he said, is this a real thing or do I just need to get tougher with him? And if you saw his brain, spec basically tells you three things, good activity, too little or too much. And then my job is to balance it. And this poor boy had a brain that was on fire. It was working way too hard. And mm -hmm. so when I showed him healthy and then I showed him his son, I'm like, your son has a medical problem. And if you just got harder on him, he would not be able to respond. And that would demoralize him, which would only make him sicker. Right. And um, the dad got it. And that's what I love, you know, especially engineers get my work because they want to see the evidence, you know, <laughs> what's the evidence. And, and then he just became a great support and we were able to get his son well. The family issue is so important. And often, um, I've done a lot of work with violence and domestic violence. And I want to scan everybody's brain at that point. <laughs> because yes, it could be the dad that had a head injury because he played football or he was in a car accident or he's drinking too much and that's damaging his brain. But he might have an ADD conflict-driven child that is pushing all of his buttons and he just doesn't have the willpower or to have control over his own negative reactions. Right. And so when you think of family systems from a neuroscience perspective, it, it really does inform and revolutionize how you treat people. 
Okay, that makes sense. So in terms of uh, looking at the brain of, of someone, a family member, and uh, it's potentially an abusive, at least emotionally abusive relationship and could be physically and so on, not to say, oh, you should stay with this person if you're, un if you're unsafe, but to show this is why this behavior is happening by looking at a, a brain scan. Is that what you're saying? So one of my favorite cases is actually from Normal, Illinois. So I gave a lecture at Normal, um, which I thought was- A place was I don't live. Um, <laughs> I got to go to the Normal grocery store, <laughs> interviewed on the Normal radio station, and I got to meet Normal women, being from California, that was unusual. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, they have the same problems in Normal that they do everywhere else. And Wayne, uh, had been arrested for felony domestic violence and had broken his wife's arm. And everybody was telling her to leave him. Mm -hmm. and, and that's rational, right? I mean, you never should stay with people who abuse you. Well, he came out to see me after he got out of jail and had severe damage to his left frontal and temporal lobe regions. And I'm like, hey, when did you have a head injury? And it turned out he was six years old. He fell six feet headfirst into a pile of bricks during a rainstorm. And, and he said, after that, I just had a really terrible temper, often for no reason. And I have hated myself ever since then. Well, when we balanced his brain, none of that behavior showed itself again. Mm, interesting. And it's easy to just call him bad. That's easy to do. The harder thing is to go, why? And people go, well, it's genetic or it's video games or it's our lousy diet. And it's all of those things. But if you don't look, how, how do you know? And when I first started my work, I was like a little kid, so excited about it and i'd go to national meetings and talk about it and then uh, all sorts of hatred came my way right. because if you really understand what i'm trying to say is we need a completely new overhaul of how we practice psychiatry and when you say what you're doing is wrong people generally don't say <laughs> thank you right they, they generally hate you <laughs> and 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 i was very upset by that because I had had two flaws. I really like it when people like me and I don't like conflict and, and I'm setting myself up for trouble. Right. And late one night in 1995, I got a call from my sister-in-law, Sherry, who told me my nine-year-old nephew, Andrew, had attacked a little girl on the baseball field that day for no particular reason. And I was, horrified and andrew's my godson so andrew and i've always been very close and i'm like sherry what's going on and she said danny he's different he's mean he doesn't smile anymore i went into his room and found two pictures he had drawn one of them he was hanging from a tree in a suicide picture the other picture he was shooting other children Mm. So Andrew really was Columbine or Sandy Hook or Parkland, Florida waiting to happen. 
and I'm like, I want to see him the next day because I'd already scanned a thousand people, many of them violent children, teenagers. And I suspected he had a problem in his left temporal lobe, which I had correlated with violence. And I'm not the only one that has done that. And it turned out Andrew had a cyst the size of a golf ball occupying the space of his temporal lobe. And when the neurosurgeon took it out, I uh, got two calls, one from my sister-in-law who said when Andrew woke up, he smiled at her. She said, Danny, he hadn't smiled for a year. The next call was from the neurosurgeon who said, if I wouldn't have figured that out, Andrew would have been dead in six months. Wow. And it was at that moment I lost my anxiety and I really just didn't care anymore if you liked me. Because <laughs> if you don't look, you don't know. And we should stop lying about that. There are so many different causes of mental health issues, and the bulk of them reside in your brain. Get your brain right, and your mind will follow. And now that's been 24 years. Andrew's married. He owns his own home. He has a job he loves. He's a productive member of society. Mm, that's wonderful. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, people that have experienced, they haven't had a head injury, uh, but, or, or assist, but they've had, you know, serious, uh, trauma, uh, you know, abuse, uh, molestation, things like that, uh, physical violence, not causing a head injury, but, um, as a child. And so they, you know, become not all of them, but many become addicted to substances, get diagnosed with things like severe depression and so on, on into adulthood. How would they benefit? I mean, I can see how, but how is that different in terms of treatment with what you do as opposed to someone that comes in with a cyst or a head injury? Well, so there are all sorts of reasons why people struggle, that it could be emotional trauma and we can actually see PTSD patterns in the brain and uh, you know so is it physical trauma is it emotional trauma is it a toxin i mean really getting the diagnosis right not the dsm diagnosis right but the why to why the person is struggling that is really where you have to start and then so for example if their brain works too hard we'll use supplements or sometimes medication or transcranial magnetic stimulation. We'll do whatever we can to calm down their overactive brain so that they can feel happy and um, better. If it's low in activity, and how would I know unless I looked, right. if it's low, then I'm going to do things to stimulate it which again could be supplements, medication. There's a treatment I love called hyperbaric oxygen. I'm going to use all the tools in the toolbox, but the first thing is the map. And you've heard it said a picture is worth a thousand words, but a map is worth a thousand pictures. Right. A map tells you where you are and gives you direction on how to get to where you want to go. And that's what I love is, you know, let's map things. Of course, always together with who you are and your symptoms, and then we'll have a better treatment plan. And the treatment plan just doesn't stop with you're depressed, take an antidepressant. 
I get horrified when I go to psychiatric hospitals or drug treatment programs and they feed these people terrible food. It's like, did you fail medical school? Are you insane? Because if you don't give the brain the nutrients it needs, it will not work right. Right. And there's all sorts of you know peer-reviewed, public res- published research on diet and mood, diet and focus, diet and memory. And so I'm going to teach you to fall in love with your brain and then treat it with reverence, the reverence it deserves. I look at this as this starting point, your baseline. Go to one of your clinics, go through the assessment process, spend what you need to spend, and then deal with other things that come out of it. And I guarantee you, if you do that first, the 20 or so things or 10 or whatever, however many things you've been told that's wrong with you will definitely decrease and you'll have much less money to spend after going through one of your clinics (laughs) because you've got that baseline that you're starting from. Yeah, I think of it as an investment and, and we have to change the paradigm. So I did my psychiatric training in Hawaii And most people don't know this, um, but Hawaii is really an Asian culture. And Asian cultures are shame-based cultures, which means they don't ever want to do anything to bring dishonor to their families. Mental illness brings dishonor to their families, they believe. And so they wait until way late in the process to get help. But I've also found with Asian families that they would do anything to give their child an advantage in school or in work. And what if we change the paradigm? What if mental health was brain health? Right away, that completely changes their mindset about health. It's like, no, I want my child to have the best brain possible. So I I need to look and I need to help optimize my child so my child can get good grades. Um, As opposed to you have something wrong that brings shame. And so they don't come for the help they need. And it's not just Asian families. It's also black families. It's Hispanic families um, who have an inherent distrust of the mental health system. Right. But everybody wants a better brain. So that's what I say. What if mental health was brain health and reimagining it, which is what I do in the end of mental illness, it just, it changes everything. And then if we can get people to love their brains in the book, the end of mental illness, there's this great device. I've just fallen in love with this writing device. And it starts with, if I was an evil ruler and I wanted to create mental illness, what would I do? And I would basically create American society. (laughs) Create distracted drivers so there's more head injuries. I'd create our national food system, which is scandalous at best with, you know, the pesticide laden, I say the real weapons of mass destruction, that ISIS has nothing on our food industry. 
They're highly processed, pesticide sprayed, high glycemic, low fiber, food-like substances stored in hormone depleting plastic containers. Mm. And, and when you really, when you begin to think about the war for your health, you have to become, here at Amen Clinics, we create brain warriors, people who are armed, prepared, and aware to really win the fight of their lives, which is for their brain's health. Last question for you, since we're talking about, you know, American society, the other advent is, uh, you know, smartphone technology, social media, dependency on our digital world. Uh, that would be another thing. How does someone with a healthy brain handle the way our society has moved into, you know, utilizing technology. We can't tell people just throw your phone away. People run their businesses on their phone. So how does a healthy brain handle the way that we live now that was, you know, born of Western society and has spread like wildfire everywhere else? So there's a, I work with a group out of Stanford on behavior change and we created 50 tiny habits. You know, what's the smallest thing I can do today that'll make the biggest difference for my brain? And the one tiny habit I love the most, I think of this as the mother tiny habit, is before you go to do anything, pick up your phone, eat something, say anything, you just ask yourself, is this thing good for my brain or bad for it? And if you love yourself, and you are informed, you'll choose the right thing. And so I went to my daughter's class when she was in second grade and I wrote 20 things on the board. And I go, separate these for me into good and bad categories for the brain. And so football went into the bad category, heading soccer balls went into the bad category, donuts went into <laughs> the bad category. And the only thing they got wrong was orange juice which they put in the good category, but it's way too much sugar. And sugar is bad for your brain. And when I just get so excited that young people, once we teach them to fall in love with their brains, they act. So I have a high school course called Brain Thrive by 25 that's in all 50 states and seven countries. And we had an independent group study it and they found it decreased drug, alcohol, and tobacco use, decreased depression, and improved self-esteem. And the big thing we did is we taught them to love their brains, and then we taught them how to take care of them. That's the end of mental illness. The end of mental illness begins with a revolution in brain health. So you're saying that with that choice, we would choose to be on our phones less, on social media less, because that's a healthier way to love, because that is a way to love your brain. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Because the kids who spend, not just the kids, the kids and adults who spend the most time on their phones and most time on social media have a higher incidence of anxiety, depression, obesity, and suicide. Right. It's sucking the life out of you. And isn't it interesting? We have Facebook and Instagram and millions of people on it, no billions of people on it. 
but loneliness has skyrocketed. Uh, yeah, we have a because whole. Because people are interacting with a device, not with another person. We just uh, started a B Corp this year called Digital Tech Initiative, where we talk about that. We have a geneticist, we have MDs, PhDs, me. Um, and we just spoke at a student mental health conference, and that's all we talked about at the conference is what you just said. This social thing, quotes around the word social, is actually doing the exact opposite at epidemic levels. So thank you so much, Dr. Daniel Amen, for coming on the show. I absolutely appreciate it. And I love that you're in my home state, Southern California. <laughs> well, that's not its own state. It seems like it between Southern and Northern, but, uh, but I do miss it out there. Well, Kristen, what a joy to meet you. Thank you for helping me spread the word on the end of mental illness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And listeners, you can find more about Dr. Amen by going to amenclinic.com or you can go to danielamonmd.com and um, definitely check out the end of mental illness. Look forward to it coming out in March of 2020 and all of the other incredible books that, um, that you've written. Thank you for what you do for the world. Thank you so much. And thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health News Radio. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial.